voltage. I see current. No, I see math. No, I no, see- not that. No, part. no, intro the episode. Oh, I thought you meant do the. <laughs> no, we'll make Ben do the formulas. It's fine. Gross. <laughs> I saw math and I, and I saw I saw math and I saw variables and I said no. What are those things that we have now available that are renewable uh, that can be worked in quite a different way into the economy of the United States? Which are concerned primarily with the design of nuclear power plants and this type of thing. Hi, I'm Pamela Wildstein. I'm Wyatt Makadonsky. I'm Ben Hilborn. I'm James Gordy. You're listening to Intermediate. 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 To Intermediate. Intermediate. The place for people trying to get into or already working on distributed energy resources and clean energy. This is the podcast that makes it easy to learn how the grid actually works beyond the obvious. Welcome to Intermediate. Hey Pam, how's it going? Terrible, I have to do the intro. (laughs) Tell me about the weather in Michigan this week. It hailed aggressively. For multiple days. Well, it didn't help. No, it rained really aggressively. There were a bunch of days with tornado warnings, and then it hailed. That is surprisingly similar to the weather that Alberta got the past week or so. Tons of tornado warnings, just a massive amount of hail that shredded everybody's vegetables and, and whatnot. Just kind of a miserable midsummer weather. It's hot. We're here to help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pam, what are we talking about today? We're doing an introduction to the electric grid, an overview of the whole system. The whole thing. The whole thing. Are we going to put out the accompanying blog post? Huh? Are we going to put out the accompanying blog post that we wrote a couple months ago on this? What do you think? Are we? Yeah, I think we should, right? okay. That's good work. And there will be a blog blog post. (laughs) Very nice. Two for the price of one. Yeah. We'll do everything from interconnections to... Physics. Starting I won't be doing physics. Well, right. <laughs> All right. Is is that leading into me doing some physics? Yeah. Yeah. D- do the formulas, Ben. <laughs> no, I hate formulas. <laughs> Tell them how the math works. Okay. All right. If you've made it this far and you don't know how electricity works, well, I mean, that's kind of why we're doing this. Um, is... That's me. <laughs> I made it this far and I don't know how it works. Pam, you're you're busy scheming how to write policy around the stuff. Ben, explain the basics of electricity to us with the formulas. Like we're in, I don't know, we're 10 or something, maybe, maybe five, maybe 10. What? All right. So the important metric in, uh, in energy systems is power. There's a lot of, there are a lot of pieces of the puzzle you can go into inductance and reluctance. And we're not talking about any of that today. We're just going to talk about power, which is current times voltage. Um, everybody's heard of amps. Um, everyone's heard of volts. You know, most people listening to this podcast know that, hey, my house has 120 volts at the outlet. And, you know, maybe you know that your hairdryer or toaster takes 15 amps because it it said so on the on the box, because sometimes people do that. So the the terms that you need to know most clearly to to work in, or even to simply understand understand energy systems, um, are kilowatts and kilowatt hours. And the uh, the difference here is 
kilowatts, uh, I guess watts is the the base SI unit and kilowatts is like that's a thousand watts. Um, and that's a measure of power. That is a measure of the, call it the uh, capacity to do work. Um, and if you think about the, the easiest analogy to this for most people um, is plumbing because everybody's used to turning on a tap. When you turn on a tap, how fast the water comes out, that's your, that's your kilowatts. Um, that is the, the speed at which the, the energy is leaving the, the source and going to the, uh, going to the receiving device, we'll call it. On the other hand, you have kilowatt hours. Ignore the, um, the reason for the hours for a second, but um, a kilowatt hour is a measure of capacity. So now if you think about, okay, I, I you know, stop at the drain, I turn on the, the tap and I fill up my sink. The amount of water in the sink, that is my kilowatt hours. That's how much um, energy I have accumulated in one spot. And now the reason for the hours on the end of it is actually really simple math. If you turn on your tap um, and you turn it on to one kilowatt amount of flow and you left it on for one hour, and let's say that that filled a bathtub, the capacity, the, the amount of water that ends up in that bathtub after an hour, that's one kilowatt hour. So the, the flow of energy times the amount of time it flows for tells you how much you can you've accumulated or used in that time so that's that's your kilowatts versus kilowatt hours people are squinting can that go all the way down to like a second or whatever you want it to be right and you just take like this amount of time times the power for that period of time is that how it works yeah that's that's the beauty of si units right where i can say if if it makes sense for my application i can talk about watt seconds or you know kilowatt years um it's it all works. Some of those units might not be super commonly used, um, but people people will know what you're talking about. Should we give people a sense of scale, like make it a bit real for different things they might relate to? Like for context, for context, the average home uses 1.25 kilowatts, or 1.25 kilowatt hours per hour. Hours per hour is going to confuse people. <laughs> confuse. That's what it is. That's what it, it is. is. That's what it is. No, we've yeah. got some nice in the blog post, or we've got some nice charts. A light bulb, sixty watts. Um, well, that's you know. okay. That's pretty old school. Like, not too many people are using incandescent bulbs anymore. What's so? What's a modern light bulb, Ben? What do you think? Like five watts. Five watts. Okay, we got to update our chart. <laughs> EV charging, um, level one, two point three kilowatts. DC fast charge, more like thirty to way more than thirty. Way more than thirty. <laughs> yeah. So let's. I don't know the things that the things that people use every day. So you know your your average like little desk lamp LED is is five watts. Your iPhone might charge at ten watts. Your toaster, which is like one of the um, one of the highest draw appliances that you can you can plug into a standard household receptacle, that's between fifteen hundred <clears throat> fifteen hundred and eighteen hundred watts. Um, so at the top end, that's 1.8 kilowatts. Um, and the, the reason for that is, you know, electrical code and, and limits on the, on the wiring of your house. The, beyond that, you're just, you're looking at bigger things that, you know, most people 
might not necessarily have um, have exposure to or, or experience with. But those are like, that's what the average person would, would understand. Beyond that, yeah, like you, like you said, you've got um, like a, a DC fast charger, call that 100 kilowatts. If you want to understand how much electricity it takes to like crash a grid, um, what, what crashed tech, the Texas grid during the 2021 February freeze was a 30 gigawatt loss of natural gas generating capacity. Holy smokes. When you add everything else that they lost too, because they lost, I think some nuclear too, and uh, some wind, it ended up being 40 gigawatts. So that's how you crash a grid. That is insane. Okay, so giga is billion. Billion watts. So million kilowatts. In the Texas freeze, they lost the generating capacity of approximately 26 million toasters. And it was like <laughs> that. Just boom, just <laughs> offline. Like that. Like 1 a.m. or something crazy like that. Maybe it was 2 a.m. 26 million toasters to take down the grid. <laughs> Only in Texas, though. Oh, only in Texas, yeah. And mate, Pam, you'll you'll be able to tell us why that's uh, why this only happens in Texas a little bit later. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. So now that you know the difference between watts and and watt hours, or kilowatts and kilowatt hours, uh, another place that you will start to see this more and more often, um, and we talk about this in our EV episode as well, is the rate that an EV can charge at, which is kilowatts and the capacity of its battery, which is kilowatt hours. So the call it the, the average EV will, at a fast charger, let's call it, it will charge at 50 kilowatts. Um, and if that EV has a 50 kilowatt hour battery, which I think is around like a Nissan Leaf or a Chevy Bolt or something like that, they're in that ballpark, um, it'll take you an hour to, to charge up give or take and there are complexities to that because of charge curves and whatnot but we'll get into that at a later date but that's that's the rough math that uh, that you can understand so now that you know what power is and how it's measured now we have to talk about how it moves yeah what's this is the grid right what's the grid <laughs> what yeah how does how does it get from point a to point b Come on, the grid. We know what the grid is. It's the greatest. The greatest machine, machine ever built. Yeah. Yeah. That quote My, by every physics or every energy professor ever. I, I was going to ask you to attribute that. Huh? Yeah, it's the obligatory. Like if you're on a podcast and you have some like insert entrepreneur or other person talk about like they're about to say about how the grid is really bad or like why it's changing and they're going to help fix a part of it. They say the grid as it exists, the greatest machine ever invented, at least man man-made accomplishment of the 1900s right yeah. and then they proceed to talk about all those <laughs> all the things wrong with it. okay why is it the greatest machine ever built let's let's contextualize that for people because all the other machines rely on this machine Ooh, okay. the base machine but yeah that's a good take yeah that is a good take that's the geographer's take i also the way i like to think about it is and i think we we might talk about this um, at some other point, the, uh, you know, how we talked about, um, why, why power factor can crash a, a generator. Remember how we talked about that? No, yes. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think I, yes. Do. No. Okay. I do. We, we will, we'll come back to that. Anyways, the, the idea being that 
the you can actually you can think of the wires between the iPhone that you plugged in and the natural gas turbine that's you know a hundred miles away um, as a physical connection. It, it is a physical connection. Electrons are physical things, and when you have an input at one end, some conduit for that um, for that power and then an output that does meaningful work like that's that's a machine and when you zoom out and you look at this as like there is one machine with countless tentacles that covers the entire continent not only this continent but every continent except probably antarctica i don't know how the grid works in antarctica we'll do an episode um but the this it's all one thing it is all one machine and that part just blows my mind a good metaphor is i always think like the circulatory system in our bodies about how everything's connected and how it keeps the blood pumping through your veins almost keeps a frequency in the way that the grid keeps one at 60 hertz Mm -hmm. Um, and all the different generators are almost like little mini hearts across the country all just pumping electrons throughout the system okay so you generate the power at one point you move it to another point with transmission and then you distribute it to its uh to its end point and so uh james what tell us about generation um well i identify as a millennial and the ones before us are the boomers <laughs> uh, bad joke maybe um yeah so you've got to generate electrons the old way to do it or what most of our grid is today is nuclear power and then fossil fuel stuff um, where I started my career. So coal, but increasingly kind of renewables and natural gas as well. Um, hopefully not increasingly natural gas, but definitely increasingly renewables and clean sources. Um, and so most of the grid today is still like fossil fuels, like 60% is what this chart says. Um, nuclear hanging on at 19%, although, you know, there's some activists that would have it go the other way. And some venture capitalists who say just have it, you know, a million nuclear reactors and we're all good, um, which, you know, they do in some countries like in France. But then increasingly we have these renewables, right? Wind, solar, um, geothermal, hydro up here in the Northwest, like Seattle, City Light, um, which is the electricity utility here in Seattle. We have like 94% clean energy, which is like best in the country for any place that's like reasonably big. And that's because turns out we have a lot of water and, you know, you can use water to create hydro energy yeah same thing up here in bc it's like always 90 plus percent hydro but totally depends on like where you're at about the mix you know like florida versus the midwest versus texas versus where pam's at michigan like totally different yeah. just depends and it is it's worth pointing out that every type of generation does have its downsides there there is no um that there is no what was it called? Like a, a cure-all um, that there is no one type of generation that is, that is perfect. Um, you definitely destroy a lot of natural habitats when you build hydro dams. Um, every, uh, every type of generation is like this. It's all, it's all a, a pros and cons game. Then once you've made it though, it's got to go somewhere, right? And how you take it somewhere. My understanding is across big distances with a lot of power is transmission, right? 
I'm looking at the blog post of this. I think it's the Simpsons where they have some power lines just moving electricity. Yeah, the transmission lines are the big towers that you see on the highway while you're driving down it. Also the things that we have a really hard time building, but our life would be way easier if we could, right? Do you guys know why there are so many lines? I always wondered this as a kid. Lines? Yeah, because you look at a, a transmission tower and you'll see six or nine or 12 lines strung up uh, all in a row. And I always wondered as a kid why this why this was like, oh, why don't they just do like one big line? Do you guys know? Um, so I would guess something up. about yeah, like redundancy and then something about the limitation of what it's made out of and like how much you can actually move in a good way based off the technology they used. It's, yeah, in, in a ways, yes. Um, so they're in sets of three because it's three-phase power, uh, first of all. When you divide a circle 360 degrees into three, um, each of these lines carries power that is 120 degrees out of phase with the other. So they're, the lines are run in sets of three, and they're often run in triangles. And the reason for that is that the um, like electromagnetic emissions from those lines cancel each other out in an equidistant configuration, which is super cool. You get, you get less losses, you get like less environmental um, EMR, all of this kind of stuff. And so now the reason that you wouldn't, okay, why don't you just have like three giant lines as opposed to like six or nine lines? Um, and the reason is the skin effect is electrons like to travel on the edge of a conductor. They don't like to travel through the middle. And so one big conductor, not only is it huge, it's heavy, it's like, you know, a single point of failure, but you're not using all that mass in the middle. The, the power is only traveling... Um, uh, along the outside, along the along the skin of the conductor. So now you know. <laughs> Just dusting off my engineering degree for this. Okay, let's let's talk about voltage a little bit. A little bit because, like, we we want to talk about voltage levels, transmission, distribution, and local, right? So you generate power at some voltage, a voltage that is is native to the generator. Um, and this is different for, for every different kind of generator. Then to transmit it, to, to put it on those, those big transmission lines, you want to get it a very long distance. And you want to lose as little of it as possible because every watt that gets to your customer is more money in your pocket. Energy that gets lost is, is just wasted money. Um, and because of the way power works, power is voltage times current. If you can increase the voltage way, way up, the current goes way down. And that's important because your line losses are dependent on resistance and resistance is a factor of current. So if you can get the voltage way up, you have less resistance and you have less line losses. So transmission lines are very high voltage. You know, um, I'm not actually gonna quote a figure cause I guarantee I will get it wrong, but you, you'll see like 12.4, you know, kilovolt lines, you'll see higher. Um, then you get to distribution. So now you're at, you know, you're serving a, like a, a whole municipality or you're serving a section of a municipality. Um, and you don't have to go such long distances. Yes, you could, you could keep the voltage high 
because that would um, that would reduce your line losses, but um, it's now a trade-off because the equipment that has to handle this power has to be handle has to be able to handle extremely high voltages. So there's a trade-off here, and when you get to distribution level, you drop the voltage to. Uh, I should really know these these numbers, but you drop it to call it a few thousand volts, and then it moves through the distribution system, goes to um, kind of your your neighborhood um, like interconnection box. It gets distributed to your neighborhood, and you'll see that like the little green boxes that you see on you know like on a corner of the street or in somebody's front yard. That's the last transformation step. That's when you're stepping it down to 120 volts for, sorry, you're stepping it down to two phases of 120 volts in, in North America. Um, so your house is actually getting uh, 240 volts um, and then you use it, uh, you use it at 120 volts in your house. We don't even need a textbook. It's so simple. There are three steps of the electric grid. You generate power, you transmit it across long distances, and then you distribute it to your home. There you go. We were chopping 10 minutes down to 10 seconds. Thank you, Pam. And I'll even get voltage in there for you. The transmission lines have higher voltage because you got to get a lot of stuff to these locations so much faster. Amazing. And that's why it has higher voltage than the distribution lines, which go much, there's less stuff and it goes slower and high voltage like kills people and we don't want to kill people. So we use a lower voltage. <laughs> we don't want to kill people. I agree. <laughs> that's pretty solid decision-making right there. Okay, so there you go. There's three steps to the electric grid in 20 seconds. We're, we're gonna we're gonna publish that on as a, its own soundbite. Can I generate power in New England and sell it in California? No, but that's well into my. We're not there yet. Aren't we into? The US grid? We are there. We are in the U.S. grid. Okay. Since we're on the U.S. grid, it's time for our new our new game. What's that acronym in which I torture ben, James and Ben with energy acronyms? <laughs> okay, we're no taking your, and this is all their fault. They brought it on themselves because they took they made fun of me for not knowing what an acronym meant, a non-energy <laughs> acronym. And so this is and this is my revenge. Okay. So to kick off this section. We'll play what's that acronym and i will of course be more u.s centric with this because i am a u.s student uh that studies the united states grid but i will try to be fair to ben and i i i got canada in there he's gonna have a fighting chance okay okay there, there's five questions and then a bonus you'll never get the bonus uh for full transparency neither of them have seen these acronyms i made them up last night um okay <laughs> they're, they're fake <laughs> no, no the questions they haven't seen the acronyms i'm going to give them uh okay. One, what does ISO, RTO, and BA stand for? And what are the differences between them? Do, do each of us take it? Like, whoever goes first, it's like whoever gets to it first. Independent BA is balancing system authority. operator, balancing authority, and then regional transmission um, office organization. No, operator? Yes, organization. Oh. <sighs> So do I get two? Yeah, no, well, you guys see what the difference is between them. So first say all three. So ISO is independent system operator. RTO is regional transmission organization. Yes, it's very annoying that the O's stand for different things. And then BA is balancing authority. And so what are the differences between the three of them? 
Ben looks like he's having a meltdown. <laughs> no one basically knows the difference between the first two. There's a 20-minute podcast explanation, which I feel like you can give us. There isn't and really a difference. Don't even bother. There's no difference between any of there's them. No, okay. There's no real difference. Is is that it? That's the trick question? Is there, no, is no, there no, you didn't say, what, what about the BAs? What do the BAs Okay, okay. Say? So if I'm, I'm probably getting this wrong, but a balancing authority, I think, is responsible for balancing generation and against demand but lacks the um like the the free market coordination um powers that uh, iso and rto have for actually selling into a, a pool Am no all balance or? no all, all balancing authority sorry all isos and rtos are balancing authorities but not all balancing authorities are isos and rtos Balancing authorities operate the regional electric grid for an area. And ISOs and RTOs, which I'll talk about later, do so in a very specific, specific special way with the wholesale market, with the restructured wholesale markets. Um, and I support Ari Pesco's Twitter initiative to combine ISO and RTO acronyms as one brand new acronym called Risotto um, <laughs> to make FERC filings much easier for us all. And more delicious. Yes. Um, two, what are the acronyms of the nine North Americans? So inclusive of Canada, oh, ISOs, no. and RTOs. And I will be impressed if you can say what they stand for. I know what ASO is. That's That one's easy. Alberta Electric System Operator. Yeah. Um, well, uh, there's ISO, MISO. New York, yeah. ISO. MISO is mid-continent. ISO. MISO? Yeah, not MISO, MISO soup. soup. Is it it's more fun to say MISO. No, it's not. You'll get kicked out of your conferences. NISO and New England, ISO. NISO. PJM. I was going to say PJM. I get there's New England, New York, NISO, PJM, which is Pennsylvania, Jersey. Maryland. Maryland and a bunch of other states. Yes. I remember that much. It stands for nothing. There's ERCOT. ERCOT, which is Texas. I don't know what it stands for. Electric Reliability Council of Texas. Um, SPP, mm-hmm. Southwest Power Pool. Yes. Yes. Okay. Nice. Great. Yeah. Um, so, is that all? No. Kaiso, you're missing California. one, and I will tell you that it is Ontario. Hmm. Oh, um, Ontario's is like weirdly vague. Like you don't know that it's Ontario, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I had to Google where it technically was. Canada. <laughs> No, I meant I, I meant where that specific. I knew the operator. I just didn't know where it was located. Is it I E S O? Yes. Yes. And the O is not Ontario. No, it's Independent Electric System Operator. So yeah. I, I will say them very quickly for everyone, since we were kind of messy with it, with the correct pronunciations, and no miso <laughs> in this podcast. Uh, Kaiso or Cal ISO is the California Independent System Operator. You will hear both. ERCOT is the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. SPP is Southwest Power Pool. MISO is the Mid-Continent ISO or Mid-Continent Independent System Operator. PJM stands for nothing, but if it helps you remember it, it's Pennsylvania, Jersey, Maryland, and nine other states. NISO is the New York Independent System Operator. ISO New England is the New England ISO. I, I don't, IESO, is it IESO? I don't know how they actually would say it. Um, we're in Canada now. I'm lost. Uh, is the independent electric system operator in Ontario. 
And what'd you say? It was AESO? AESO? AESO. AESO is Alberta Electric System Operator. Okay. For bonus points, why are there only two in Canada? Because it's like America and you had to willingly enter into them? Yeah. There, there are only two um, power markets, Alberta and Ontario. Every other province is just crown controlled. Stop taking over my game. <laughs> okay, three. What is an LSE? Load serving, Load serving entity. Ah, the utilities <laughs> that sell you power. Boo. Okay. What is FERC and NERC? And I get away with this one because one of these entities has jurisdiction over Canada. And how are FERC and NERC connected, at least in the American context? I feel like we both know, except for the last part, right? I don't know this. Okay. Federal Energy. Wait, was it FERC? Uh-huh. Federal Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Council? Commission. 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 Yeah. Nuclear Energy nope. Regulatory Commission. Okay, we got it all. Right. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Is it North American or National? North American. Okay. Energy Regulatory Commission. No? Wow, that would be too easy, wouldn't it? Yes. Oh my god, there's a dog. Sorry. <laughs> my entire family on the podcast. Right now. There's a dog. Yes. Okay. Um, so FERC is the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. They are an independent United States agency tasked with ensuring just and reasonable rates on the transmission system, among other things. So they are just in America. Um, and NERC is the North American Electric Reliability Corporation. And they're an international regulatory authority that ensures the reliability and security of the bulk power system by developing and enforcing standards. And if you do anything with the transmission system or with wholesale markets in any way, you will definitely come across FERC. You will hear about them all the time, um, worth going to their public meetings. You might hear about NERC, especially if you're working in the academic con uh, context. Um, you will, and you're doing transmission system and reliability, you, you will be reading many, many NERC things. Uh, and the way that they're connected is that NERC's jurisdiction in America comes from FERC. They had to choose some entity to have that regulatory, um, not that the regulatory, oh yeah, the right, that regulatory authority over uh, bulk power system standards and they chose NERC. Okay. Last one that you guys have a fighting chance on and then the bonus, which I know you won't and it's just for fun. Oh, no. uh, what is a PUC or a PSC in the US context? I, I don't know what the Canadian equivalent would be. Public Maybe there is no Canadian commission. Equivalent. Public Service Commission? Yep. And those are US uh, state regulatory entities uh, for utilities. That's just the general name for them. Every state kind of has their own little way of doing it. Sometimes it's PUC, sometimes it's PSC. Um, I think, for example, New Jersey, this is like the New Jersey Public Service Commission or Public Service Commission of New Jersey. Everyone's got their own little thing, but like when talking about them generally, we say PUC or PSC. Okay, here's your bonus for fun because I, I recently spent an egregious amount of time figuring out uh, Kaiso's API for this and the documentation was the stuff of nightmares. Um, what does OASIS stand for? Oh, God. <laughs> they make classic songs. Are they, is Oasis is classic now, I guess, right? Yeah. What'd you say? <laughs> Oasis is, that's like classic rock now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so can we start with what Oasis does? 
My understanding Ooh. of what Oasis does is it's a piece of software used by California ISO. Not just Cal, not just you, Cal ISO. Not, they do other ones, but the most I've heard people mostly talk about it with California. Um, and it's a software interface you use to get data about the wholesale market and the ISO. Very Maybe. close. <laughs> okay. No, it was pretty good. That was pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. It actually has a regulatory complaint about it. I have nothing to add. I don't know. So OASIS stands for Open Access Same Time Information System. Um, and it's the platform that the ISOs and RTOs use for bids and offers and info about the system. And this is per Fork Order 889. Um, the existence and usage of this is actually federally required. And all of the ISO RTOs use it? The same so order, OASIS? Mm -hmm. So order 888 in the I think late 90s, was it like 96 was order 888 that said ISOs, and RT ISOs exist. And then 889 came right after and it says you all have to use this, uh, you, you all have to use and have this, uh, this platform for managing your markets. And it needs to be publicly posted. And it looks like we use it in Canada as well. There you go. Good to know. That's a deep cut. Thanks for playing, Ben. <laughs> I don't okay. know if I want to thank myself. Okay, thank you for playing my game. <laughs> that was fantastic. Let's absolutely do that again. Um, I have to hop off, but yeah. you guys, you guys take everyone, take everyone else through the uh, the nitty gritty. So thank you for playing my game. Uh, I really enjoyed my revenge. But now to move on to the U.S. Electric Grid with all that context and all those new acronyms that you've all learned. Um, I find it helpful to consider the different layers of the electric grid from a geographical standpoint. And it's a way to look at a map and say, where am I physically located in the system and whose territory I am, I'm in. So at the biggest level, you have interconnections. Um, and the US grid has three separate, inter, uh, separate grids or interconnections with minimal transfers of power between them. And these three separate interconnections are the Eastern interconnection, the Western interconnection, and ERCOT, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. So they are Quick both, oh uh, yeah. Yeah, questions on this. So if I, you know, back to the question, right? Like if I generate electricity in Massachusetts, which is on the Eastern in connection, can I definitely not use it in the Western in connection or ERCOT? Like the electrons never flow between the two or like what's the division there? Very rarely. You would need high voltage transmission lines to do that. And we currently don't have that capability. Gotcha. Um, And that, that's the way that these interconnections result in physical limitations to the system because they are essentially operating as their own separate grids with very few connections between them, then you can't get power between them. I think regardless, it would be very hard to get power from you know California to New York. But that is one big uh, hurdle against that. Um, but yeah, so we have the Eastern Interconnection, the Western Interconnection, and then ERCOT, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, which is both an interconnection and, uh, and uh, an ISO, or an independent system operator that we talked about before, because no man is an island, but Texas sure as hell is. These borders of, of the interconnections are often referred to as the seams of the grid. So if you ever heard of the seam study coming out of NREL, that's what that's from. Um, and like I said before, uh, those interconnections result in physical limitations to the system. So within the interconnections, you have BAs or balancing authorities, and these are the regional grid operators that do the day-to-day -day operations of the system, 
they keep dispatch generators, predict demand, and keep the grid happy and content, content at 60 hertz, meaning that supply and demand is always equal. The U.S. has 66 balancing authorities, and they're typically either the ISOs and RTOs that we mentioned before or specific utilities. ISOs and RTOs are special balancing authorities uh, because they have extra responsibilities. They're regulated a bit differently, and they use different mechanisms to balance the system relative to when the balancing authority is just the utility for the area. I'm just going to call them ISOs for the rest of this. Uh, ISOs and RTOs are functionally the same thing. ISOs are nonprofit independent organizations who manage the transmission system. They dispatch generators using a competitive market, run models and forecasts to make sure that there is always enough power on the system to meet demand, and have certain transmission planning requirements from the federal government. They also operate Oasis, which we spoke about before, which gives you lots of historical information about the system, like prices and like prices and load and demand. Uh, if you can figure out the API, if you do, please let me know. ISOs, uh, one day we'll get their own episode with their history and drama, uh, but it's just important to know that they exist, operate the grid, manage an open competitive wholesale market that uses an economic dispatch. Just to make sure that people connect the dots here. Yeah. Um, before we named, but just to make sure that people are following, right? We had these interconnects, which is like the three piece slices, kind of mm -hmm. broadly east, west, and then ERCOT in Texas, yeah. um, but not all of Texas, weirdly. Um, and then these ISOs, we're going to call them, right? That's like the Cal ISO or the MISO or yeah. uh, PJM, that, just so people are tracking. Yep. And that's why a lot of them have ISO at the end of them. Except for, I, I love it when, for example, ISO New England has ISO in it, but it is an RTO. Yeah, see you that, know, the same that, thing. That fooled me exactly. Yeah. Uh, within the balancing authorities, you have many utilities, uh, our good old utilities who you are all familiar with because they send you a bill once a month, unless you're me and it's included in your rent. So I don't have to deal with DTE. Uh, examples include DTE, Detroit Edison, Con Edison in New York City, and San Diego Gas and Electric uh, in California. Uh, who San Diego Gas and Electric, I spent a whopping 2.5 hours on the phone with yesterday. So thank you to the very patient customer service people who put up with me as I tried to figure out when your demand response programs were dispatched in 2020. Uh, so, real quickly, you called up San Diego Gas and Electric yeah. demand response line and waited or talked to them for two and a half hours to figure out when their demand response events were dispatched? Well, no, I, I, I used the chat first. Then the chat gave me the number to the demand response line. And then the demand response people sent me back to the general customer account. Then the customer account people just sent me back to the demand response. So then I went back to the chat. You're being the transferred chat. all the time? Yeah, and then the chat people gave up and they sent me back to the demand response. Then I did some Googling based off of some of the information that the chat, sorry, that the, um, that, that the demand response people gave me. After I finished doing some Googling, I called the demand response people back, got the same guy that I had heard from the time before that. He was very unhappy to hear from me again. And then we figured <laughs> it out. Um, and we found a way for me to get the times when the program was dispatched without them explicitly telling me. And so all you're trying to do is figure out when the programs were dispatched in 2022. And that took me two and a half hours, 2020. Oh, no, it ended up being 2022. Yeah, it was 2022, actually. Yeah. And everything you just described, just to get the answer to that question. It was just one program, too. It was just uh, their program that's called Power Saver Rewards, which is technically peak time rebates. 
Yes. <laughs> All right, everyone, be encouraged by the fact that everyone is out there doing things similar to what Pam just said to get answers to simple questions. <laughs> well, I think to be fair to them, they were really weren't allowed to tell me. So they could give oh, me hints. Okay. Yeah, I think they could only really give me hints. They could say, well, you know, it was dispatched 11 times. And Why can't they tell you? Some progr- some utilities can tell you. I, I did okay. this for all the pro- utilities in California. Some utilities okay. can tell you. Some can't. They can tell you for some programs. They can't tell you for others. Sometimes they just don't know and you need to find the right person. That's fair. Yeah. So thank you, San Diego Gas and Electric. For your for your help. One last thing on San Diego Gas and Electric. For some reason, they they made the effort to make the demand response line a different hold music than the normal line, and it was just really bad. They, they should just keep the everyone. It's bad, the regardless. Same. Yeah, like they should just keep the hold music the same. It was like someone went through effort, extra effort to make that hold music worse. Uh, anyway, <laughs> utilities. You might also hear utilities. Uh, referred to as LSEs or load serving entities because they are serving load. Wow. The, the lawyers are so, uh, are, are so creative with their, their terms. Um, utilities, generally speaking, operate the distribution system. So the poles and wires of the grid, and they sell power to consumers and deliver it to your house. They also run energy efficiency and demand response programs. Have fun asking for the dates those are dispatched on the phone as well as offer multiple rate designs, which we touch on a bit, I know for sure, uh, in our EV episodes. Depending on the state that the utility is in, they may own and operate transmission lines, and in most cases, they do generate power, regardless of whether or not they are in uh, an ISO or not. Markets, which I have alluded to. No, real quickly, before we get into markets, this was another version of the blog post. Um, Inside an individual electric utility, there's like subzones or like buckets within the utility, right? Like, um, I think you called them sublaps. So yeah, sublaps. Yeah, let's talk about sublaps a bit, just so people can really understand. Sublap stands for subload aggregation point. I know for a fact Kaiso has them. I don't know if other ISOs do. For example, I. Other utilities might, I'm sorry, other ISOs might have zones, for example, that they use. And basically, you don't just offer your generation or buy electricity from the entire market. There are dots all throughout the map or zones throughout the map, and you offer into those specific, the the dots are called nodes. If you look on ERCOT or Kaiso's website, for example, they have very clear visuals of this. You you offer into a specific node or zone. Um, The sublaps in Kaiso are just a collection of... Uh, those nodes. Yeah, my that, for example, is you could have. Huh? Yeah, go ahead. No. Go ahead. And, and I think the idea behind that is that um, for some services, you offer into a sublap, or you're generating. If you're, for example, offering in an aggregation of distributed energy resources, which are smaller and located on the distribution system, they can be anywhere in that sublap. Yeah, my understanding is like not just at the ISO level, but. Even like within the utility, they'll have like, let's say Con Ed has like a certain, you know, like this is the Con Ed territory. Mm-hmm. Inside the Con Ed territory, there's little like portions that are like broken down even further. Um, and I think it depends like what they call those depending on the utility. So apologies to the audience for not knowing. But um, if you're trying to like start from the entire grid to like the three interconnects to the different um ISO regions, the different utility territories. I think there's one step below that even, which is like the portion of the utility territory. 
maybe those are just nodes or I'm not quite sure what they're called. I don't know what they call them. I know if, uh, in the different California utilities, which I, I, I don't normally work specifically with utilities, but I do know the California one's the best. Um, you They split areas up based on their baseline allocation, which is the maximum amount of electricity that a home could use before they get bumped up a tier on the price. And so their baseline allocation is based off of where they live and how much air conditioning they're expected to use and whatnot. I see. <laughs> this gets really specific. Um, if people are interested in learning more about like these very, very nuanced, nitty-gritty details, please let us know. We never know where to do deep dives, but I just wanted to like highlight You know, the levels continue. Yeah, it's bureaucracy. There's always another <laughs> level that you can go down in specificity. Now that we've done the geography of the system, we've talked about markets many, many times and not said what we meant by that. So there are two types of markets, wholesale and retail. I'm going to start with wholesale and then I'll, we'll talk about retail. So everyone take a deep breath now before we do wholesale markets in the US because you need a deep breath before you talk about them. Wholesale markets refer to transactions that occur on the transmission system. I think that the easiest way to understand wholesale markets is to understand it as this how we got from one to the other. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Also, I like... When I look at them, I break them down by like regulated, like is more simple. And then you kind of like unpack yeah. it a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Of course. Cause one's an easy monopoly and all three steps are owned by owned and operated by the same entity. And then the other one's like, whoa, we created an entire policy market to do this thing that we want. And we keep making this policy market more and more uh, complicated so that it takes okay. into account more and more things. So wholesale markets refer to transactions that occur on the transmission system. And this essentially means utilities selling power to one another. This is not an all-encompassing definition, but if you're new to it, just go with this definition because your life will be significantly easier. And at this point, here lies interstate commerce, meaning that there are many, many lawyers involved. If you are in an area that is not restructured, meaning that the utility is a monopoly, and owns and operates the generation, transmission, and distribution steps, then you just submit your wholesale sale to FERC and then they approve, or the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, and then they approve it if the rate is just and reasonable. So I guess what I'm confused about, um, and maybe other people understood it, when I look at the markets, I do like regulated markets and deregulated markets. And the way I understand it is regulated is mostly what you just described, which is the utility, you know, let's use like an example, um, Con Ed in New York, man, like they, they handle everything. So they handle the, I guess, generation, transmission, and distribution. Of Not in New York, but I've, I'm trying to think about it. Yeah, it's a bad example. Like yeah, let's say um, um, oh, in Georgia. New Mexico. Georgia, or, well, there's three in New Mexico, right? So you got PNM, then you've got El Paso Electric, which has the yeah. coolest logo of any utility. And then Excel does some work there too. So like if you pick um, in like Albuquerque or Santa Fe, PNM is doing generation and also doing transmission and distribution. Yeah, if it's uh, regulated. If you're in a regulated or a non-restructured wholesale market, then every step of the process is owned and operated by the utility. So they choose what generators they build, they build their own transmission lines, and then they choose the order in which those generators get dispatched to meet demand. And then the wholesale sales come between those utilities buying and selling power to one another. I see. But like in, in PNM, aren't they mm -hmm. all just 
they're just buying and selling them themselves, basically. Well, they might take from a. There might be another utility next door. I see. So they or utilities from next door. Yeah, or I, I we could get into power pools, but utilities might be in like a power pool, and they all might buy and sell from each other. Okay, that's a little tricky. Yeah. Um, the way I was thinking about it was like, if you're an electricity customer, you have this bill, like you talked about the bill, and then there's the supply portion, which is like the cost of generated electricity, and then delivery, which is the cost to deliver it through transmission and distribution, and then in the regulated market, let's again, the utility like PNM, they're gonna bill you for both of those things supply and delivery yeah you're, you're gonna get billed all from the utility regardless but only get a bill from the utility but yeah how, regardless guess, you're only getting the bill but how they get the um the electricity right like generate and move it to you they may or may not be generating it themselves or buying it from other utilities is your point sorry in a in a, in a regulated market regulated market yeah Regardless of whether or not you're in regulated slash unrestructured or deregulated slash restructured markets, the power could technically come from a different utility or from a different entity. It's just how that's being regulated, like the wholesale market. So in a regulated market, if utilities buy and sell power between one another, that sale has to go through the federal energy regulatory, like a commission, the individual sale goes to them and then they approve it as just and reasonable and then it gets to happen. But all three steps of the process are still owned by this one utility. I see. There are many less players involved and the utility gets to decide the order in which they dispatch generators or whether or not they're even going to sell or buy power in the first place from someone else. They might say, oh, we're going to buy from this other utility. Or they might say instead, we're going to build a new generator. And they, they they can do that basically as they can do whatever they want because they run the whole show or is there any process? Yeah, of course, do? the public utility commission slash public service commissions that we spoke about earlier have regulatory authority over them in some way. And okay. FERC can say whether or not the sale is just and reasonable if one occurs. But yeah, that's their choice. That's their choice as the monopoly and as the system operator. Okay. Does that make sense? Wholesale markets are hard. That's why we took a deep breath. <laughs> yeah. And that's why like for me, when I think about regulated markets, I almost like forget about the wholesale market. And I just think about like the utility is mostly doing everything and they bill you like you only have an option to get billed by them. I almost think about it from like the customer standpoint, but I guess like, like all things, there's le- there's levels here. <laughs> well, so, yeah. Like, well, we're, like so... explaining what's technically correct. Well, yeah. Cause there's, there, there's, we're only talking about wholesale right now. Just because your wholesale market market was deregulated or restructured doesn't mean that your retail market is. And just because your retail, well, I think no, yeah, they, they are not work. mutual. Sorry, they are not. What, what's it? They're, they're not mutually exclusive, like the deregulation of both. Yeah, understood. The, yeah, the right wholesale now. market is because there's interstate commerce and there are all the lawyers involved. That is the federal sphere of things. There is a bright line between them. It's a law term. There's a bright line between them. The retail is the state level. They are two separate things. Just imagine them as being separate things. Yeah. And I think I understand that largely because you helped me understand that. The thing like that, I think all this stuff is confusing. And so the like mental model I use to like try and understand the different markets is um, there's two kinds of markets. Again, high level, regulated, deregulated. 
And then in regulated markets, like the utility is the only person you're getting billed by and they are managing pretty much, again, let's keep it simple, generation, transmission, distribution to you. Well, um, if, if that's not correct, then I think it's hard for people to understand like all the differences. So you're only getting... So you're only getting billed by one person regardless. It's whether or not that the person that's billing or the entity that's billing you is buying from somewhere else. Are they getting billed by someone else? And so in a, and we kind of skipped the level. So I didn't even get to what restructured uh, deregulated markets are. Um, They're getting billed by someone else. And then that bill gets passed on to you, but you're still only receiving one bill. Yeah, as a customer. And I guess like when I, try to understand regulated markets myself and mostly just think about like the utility kind of managing things and then the customer gets the one bill and then to further unpack it i then go like okay if it's a deregulated market then there's what you said which is you can have wholesale market deregulation and or you can have retail market deregulation yeah you don't have to have both depending on the different markets yeah I think that's that's fair. That's a good way to think about it. Yeah. What we just spoke about mainly before was the regulated markets, which is also called a non-restructured market. If you are in a deregulated area in the transmission system or what I call would call a restructured area, you are working with the ISOs, the independent system operators, and the RTO, the regional transmission organizations that we were talking about before. So the Energy Policy Act of 1992 kicked off this general process of deregulation of the wholesale power markets. And it's really actually very fairly similar in concept to the when they deregulated the airline industry. Um, but in practice, it turned out a bit different. So at the wholesale level in the electricity system, this deregulation meant creating a way to break up that regulated monop- that monopoly uh, of the utility owning generation, transmission, and distribution and operating all three. Okay. So the federal, so the Energy Policy Act of 1992 was when Congress said, FERC, go deregulate the industry the same way that we're deregulating the airlines. And FERC said, okay, Congress, thank you. We will do this through encouraging states and utilities to restructure the wholesale market through the creation of these ISOs and RTOs. So no longer do the monopoly utilities get to decide which generators get dispatched when now this independent nonprofit ISO will operate an open access market that anyone can participate in. So it's not just DTE anymore that gets to sell power to the market. Anyone gets to do it. And these merchant generators that are not monopoly utilities can out offer the utilities and get dispatched first. Their wind turbine can get chosen to pa- generate power before DTE's coal plant. I see. And so in one of these... And so real quickly, just to make sure I understood it right, 1992 is when this all started. Yes. Okay. And then in what there are we There were murmurings them? of it from beforehand. Uh, I, this idea didn't just come out of nowhere. I think people were really excited about breaking up with the mo- monopolies. Um, yeah. There's a really great book by, you know, very well-known book by Richard Hirsch called Power Loss that goes into extreme depth about this. And I haven't finished that book yet, but one day I will. But that goes through the whole history of how this happened. Um, and, so, and it was like a long time coming. 
So the utilities or electricity retailers or load serving entities then will buy power from the market to sell to the consumers. So DTE, let's say that they have generate DTE's generators will offer into the market. The market will then dispatch the generators. They will get paid. DTE will get paid by the market for what they generate. And then they'll buy the electricity back from the market that they're going to sell to their customers. And that's where the billing gets weird because all those costs from the market get passed on through whatever they charge you. Yeah. So, and so you know, they might be pay so they might be paying for the wind turbine the merchant generator wind term turbine. Yeah. And so then um in again like a place with like deregulated wholesale markets like the utility like DTE um can sell power into that market as Absolutely. a generator. Yep. But also third parties like a solar developer or some other generator can also sell power into that market and get paid for it. Exactly. Yeah. And then on the other side of that, like there's some like pool, right? And so you're dumping a bunch of electricity into the pool and then DTE will be buying some amount of that Mm -hmm. as a retailer or load serving entity. And so they buy some power from the pool and then they sell it to their customers. Exactly. Yeah. And so the difference from the regulated wholesale market is that before DTE could have just said, well, we have this much demand. We're going to meet it with natural gas generator one, natural gas generator two, and coal plant three. But now that they're offering into this market, the market might say, well, we'll take natural gas generator one. We'll take however many megawatts from natural gas generator or however many gigawatts from natural gas generator two, but we will not take coal generator coal plant one we have someone else that's going to do that for us we don't we don't need your coal plant it's too expensive yeah that makes sense to me yep so notice how i switched my terminology from deregulated to restructured halfway through that these terms are often used interchangeably which is why i thought it was important that i used both of them even though they are not necessarily interchangeable um but everyone does it anyway so it doesn't matter I'm a stickler, though, for using restructured specifically after the Texas freeze in February of 2021, because deregulated makes it sound like there is no regulation happening whatsoever. When uh, the whole ERCOT thing happened, everyone threw their hands up and they said they are deregulated markets. Nothing's being regulated. Nothing has happened. And ERCOT isn't as much regulated as other areas. But please do not extend that to the other ISOs and RTOs. That makes me sad. Yeah. you that like is not the case. Restructured instead of deregulated because there are some rules and regulation, right? It's yeah. not totally deregulated. It's almost like capitalism, right? In the US, <laughs> like of course we're not pure capitalism, but we're not communist of course, but we're not pure capitalist either because there is some government influence, you know, like, so like yes, like you could say like, you know, the US is capitalistic, but it's not like purely capitalistic. And yeah. so in the same way, we're not like purely deregulating these wholesale markets. Um, I see what you mean. I do also think though, like when people learn about this stuff, the terms they normally hear, like, and they're just trying to keep the stuff straight because as a new person, yeah. it's pretty confusing. They hear deregulated. They're like, all right, I'm latching on a deregulated. There's deregulated and regulated. And I know the difference and I'm really happy with that. I'm going to like check the box and move on for now. Yeah. Uh, it's tough because I, I think in industry you hear, uh, deregulated and regulated a lot. And I, did a lot of uh, my initial energy education in law classes. And so I learned restructured and uh, uh, restructured and non-restructured. 
So it depends on where you're coming from. Um, All right, Pam, the question I have to ask, um, do we want to cover these kind of three main buckets of market types in wholesale deregulated markets, energy markets, capacity markets, and ancillary service markets? Yes, we do. Try and explain these to us simply. I will. And I have such a fun metaphor for you. Um, ISOs and RTOs run three types of markets. Not all of them run all, not all of them run all of these. For example, ERCOT, SPP, and KISO don't have capacity markets, but they all show up and you will hear about them all. So energy markets is what everyone has. And these are the day ahead, hourly, and real-time sales for electricity. This is the bulk of where the buying and selling of your electricity is occurring and where it's coming from. Ancillary services are markets for services that help balance the transmission system, like frequency regulation and reserves. That's the little stuff that's happening at much smaller, uh, at much smaller time scales. Reserve and is just in case you need it. Extra stuff that you have on hand, like uh, it's like there on hand in case you need it. As mm-hmm. like, uh, all right, I can call it as needed, but like maybe, hopefully, I don't need it. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, maybe the the demand is a bit higher than you initially predicted <clears throat> it would be, so you just have a little bit on hand in case. Yeah. There's, there's then, twenty, there's twenty six huh? million ter- toasters we lost. So we need, we need yeah, something. yeah. We we gotta find thirty megawatts. Of, I'm sorry, thirty gigawatts of reserve somewhere. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> ancillary small ancillary services are small small time scales, small amounts. It's the little stuff um, that just keeps the system going on the minute by minute basis. Okay, like and small, then like small calibrations to like yeah. kind of keep things on the rails. Little teeny things, yeah. Okay. Um. Frequency regulation is just the easiest way to think about ancillary services. Um, and then finally, is capacity markets, which I know everyone has their own opinions on. Capacity markets could, ha- could have their own episodes because people have, they, they care so much about them and they have, they have so many opinions about them. Here, here is an entire book I am holding out. She has electricity yes. capacity markets. Yes. Here's Todd a- S. Agard and Andrew N. Clayton. Yes, this is all about capacity markets. They don't have books like that for ancillary services, guys. Um, Capacity markets provide payments to generators for their generating capacity that they provide to the system. You're you're not paying them for actual electricity generated. That's what the energy market does. You're paying them for the generation capabilities that they will offer the system in the future. You want to have a reserve margin. The capacity market helps you have that reserve margin. Capacity markets are just at their core paying generators to be available and exist. A metaphor for these three markets, and what I think is the easiest way to think about them, is that ISOs are essentially a bar. Capacity markets are the cover fee that you pay to get uh, that you pay to get in the door and ensure that the band will be playing and that the bartender will uh, that will the bartender will be there to make your drinks so that you can pay for them later on. The energy market is the actual drinks that you buy. And the ancillary services are the bar peanuts and the popcorn and the fries that you eat on the side to keep you from getting alcohol poisoning when you've bought so many uh, drinks from the energy market. And of course, this metaphor eventually breaks down. I have no idea what the equivalent of the net cone or the net cost of new entry or the MOPR minimum offer price rule or uh, reliability must run contracts would be in relation to the cover fee here. But the vibes are there. This is the ISO is just a bar. I mean, sometimes you don't need to know everything about how the sausage is made right at the bar. Yeah. What do you mean? You don't want to read electricity markets? Okay, let, let me test this a little bit then. So yeah. I'm going to go out with my wife on a Friday night. 
and we're going to go to a bar that has live music in downtown Seattle um, to pay 20 bucks to go see the concert. Um, let's pick one. Um, I saw M83 recently uh, or maybe um, Dead and Company, you know, they with John Mayer, they're touring. They just came to the, the Gorge Amphitheater. So my like price to get into the bar or the concert venue, let's say 50 bucks or something. Mm-hmm. That's the capacity market payment for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Like that's capacity market. And then as long the as the drinks. main reason you're there is the drinks. Yeah, yeah. The main okay. reason I'm there, though, is the drinks. Yeah. Like, I don't actually like this band that much. I'm just going because, you know, I'm trying to be a good husband. And so I'm going there for the drinks, right? It's all about the drinks. And so all the money I spent on the drinks at the concert is the energy markets. And then... If I want to, this breaks down a bit because I was going to say like money for the jukebox or the salty peanuts or the snacks or the other stuff kind of around the edges, kind of small things. That's the ancillary services markets. Yes. That's a, that's a great way. That's a great example. Okay. Great. All right. Good. When, when good. I made this example, just I guess for people to know, if anyone went to Penn State, I was specifically thinking about the bar champs. Deregulated retail markets. Ah, retail markets. I'm going to admit, I don't know as much about deregulated or restructured retail markets as I do wholesale markets because I spend all my time doing wholesale markets. Um, But these, the decision whether or not to deregulate slash restructure your uh, retail markets is a state decision at the state level because states have jurisdiction over retail markets like we spoke about before. And the federal uh, government has the jurisdiction over wholesale markets. Retail markets are when monopoly utilities and non-monopoly <coughs> utilities sell or uh, retailers sell power to you, the consumer. And the restructuring process opened at the retail level opened up the market to non-monopoly utility providers. So you'll offer here to, uh, this referred to as consumer choice because you get to mm-hmm. go out and you can choose who you want to buy your power from. And those entities are buying their power that they will sell to you from the wholesale, uh, from the wholesale market. Most likely the restructured wholesale market. I I don't think I can think of a place that has a non-restructured wholesale market and a restructured, um, and a restructured retail market. Actually, there might be. Yeah, maybe the maybe the closest one that top of my mind, right? California, because California has a. I'm just going to keep saying words, right? Deregulated wholesale market, and then you. They, you do kind of have a choice with community choice aggregators, but yeah. like you don't have like a choice of anyone in the entire state. I think in a lot of cases, it's like if you live in San Francisco, you have like Clean Power SF or, you know, like someone like that who's like your designated, like you could buy from them in addition to buying from Pacific Gas and Electric. That's yeah. like really weird example though. So like maybe did more damage than I just helped. Ah, there is one example. Sorry, I'm. I'm. There is one example of a state that has a that is not that. Sorry, there is one example of a state that has a restructured retail market, but a non-restructured wholesale market. And if I'm reading my map correct, I think it's Oregon. So oh I no, no I was just about to say, hey, shout out to Oregon, right? Yeah, Oregon, Seattle from Portland, so I can speak a little bit about this. Um, yeah, I don't know the specifics of how that works with the wholesale market, uh, but that. It, that is the one place that does not. I think it's. Have I think it's a decent market. example, though. So, we love Oregon, um, Portlandia. Um, so, you kind of don't have a choice 
if you own a house um like if you're like in a house um you're below a certain like threshold i think it's like 50 kilowatts i think um and so if you're below like 50 kilowatts in oregon you have no choice and you have to buy from like the utility like portland general electric or pacific power or idaho power or you know eugene co-op or whatever um but if you're above that like 50 kilowatt threshold which is kind of like bigger businesses mm-hmm. it is a deregulated retail market like with a lot of asterisks there um and so you can choose where to buy your electricity from so another one which i think is like you know it depends like some states are just fully open like texas you can just buy your electricity supply from any retailer and then the delivery um is from the utility or like in new york i know this one well like in new york you buy electricity delivery from con ed always but you can buy from a third-party supplier Although um, by default, you're normally still buying supply from the utility. Like you're putting both things on the bill, but you have the choice to leave. Um, yeah, and that's and a great point. To, from someone else. And that's a great point to make um, is that in deregulated or sorry, restructured in restructured retail markets, uh, the poles and wires are still owned and operated by the monopoly utility. It's just the transaction is occurring with some third party. Yeah, that's fair. And then there's there's like so many details and all these are weird. Like maybe you could speak to Michigan. I know Michigan has like a lot of like strange like details to the fact that they have retail choice. I, I actually really can't. Um, I, I really yeah, do mainly wholesale. And like I said, I live in uh, an apartment complex where I don't have an electricity bill. Um, so yeah, I've that's fair. never purchased electricity in, I, I've, no, I've, no, I've never purchased electricity in Michigan before. And so I guess like the rule here, um, there's regulated and deregulated markets. And then within deregulated markets, you can have wholesale power deregulation, which is where third party generators, in addition to the utility, can sell power into the grid, um, sell power into the wholesale market and get compensated for it. And that happens at the um, ISO level, like PJM, New York ISO, those levels. Um, and then you can also have deregulated retail markets, which happens at the state level. And so in, um, Texas or in Oregon, you have different rules at the state level for retail deregulation, which kind of overlap and have a weird mishmash with the deregulation of the wholesale markets. And so no two places are the same. We're doing our best to kind of help you sift through it, but as with all things in electricity, it's pretty messy. There's a couple helpful charts in the blog post, but um, you know, a lot to unpack here. If you have to choose between spending your time studying wholesale markets or retail markets, you should choose deregul. Uh, you should choose restructured wholesale markets. Damn it, you got me saying deregulated. Stop. <laughs> I didn't go through three plus semesters of energy law to say deregulated. <laughs> regulated. So I've win because I'm creeping into Pam's vocabulary now. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Pam, um, till next time. See you next time. Maybe last thing. um, If you like the show, please leave us a review. Those help greatly or share the show with anyone else. You can find us on Apple and Spotify and Substack. Till next time, thanks for listening to Intermediate.